Hello and welcome to another Pod by the Fireside with me, Gregory Alexander-Sharp. You can call me Greg. Those of you who have listened to the previous two pods will know that we're on the third of five episodes regarding werewolves. The first week was a pretty broad discussion about why myself and my guest, and we'll come to him in a minute, uh, it was a discussion about why we have an interest in werewolves in the first place. Last week, we took a pretty deep dive, or as much of a deep dive as we could manage in about an hour, into the history of the lycanthrope, dating all the way back to the Bronze Age or something like that. This week, we are skillfully postponing the subject of lycanthropes in literature while we continue to work on our research, and we are instead taking a dip into a subject we think we've got covered. Uh, My guests certainly should have. Specifically, it's werewolves at the movies. Many of you, like me, will have had your first introduction to werewolves via some kind of a film or another, and we plan to check out five of our favourites during this episode. Now, when I say we, I am, of course, I've made this joke once before, I'm not referring to myself and my posit, I'm referring to myself and my partner in podcast crime, host of viral podcasting sensation, werewolf the podcast the actual voice of will the werewolf himself oh don't give it away <laughs> well somebody does a very good impression of will the werewolf anyway let's put yeah, it that way I, I, I act is wrong act is wrong nicely uh it's it's mr fenrir thorvaldson hello fen wow. how are you hello are you looking I'm forward really... to our chat on werewolves at the movies i am i i've uh because of my uh mistakes that i've made previously with dates and stuff i've got extensive notes so if i sound like i'm reading from extensive notes it's because i'm reading from extensive notes <laughs> very good okay very good <laughs> i understand you might have watched a couple of werewolf movies in the past that's true isn't it i've re- as of as of um yesterday Officially, I have watched 572 bits of werewolf media. That's extraordinary. I actually have them listed. That's how sad I am. So I've started going down the Japanese manga line. Oh, you've gone there? Yeah. So when I was I was away yesterday, and I I had an hour, and I went down that I went down that path, and yeah, it's a path. (laughs) I think the word is yikes. Yes, it, it's it's a definite path, and I don't think I'm young enough to understand the manga as a concept. But we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's no manga films people would be interested to hear uh, in this episode, but there are five of what we think are the most uh, significant or, or or our favorite films. As always, Fen and I are sat by the fireside in a tiny log cabin in the very middle of an extremely remote and scary location. We've got a long night ahead of us, so it's a good job we've had a massive plasma screen installed since last week and we can watch werewolf movies all night long. That is massive. That is massive. massive. It's huge. It's half a wall. It is. I've never seen a a plasma screen that big before. A huger plasma screen. So we're going to watch five werewolf movies, a bit like the five points on the pentagram, the mark of the werewolf, you know, a bit like the five episodes in this five-pointed series on werewolves. We do stuff like this around here, kids. It's pretty cool. Yeah, 
Yeah, I like that. So these five films, they're not necessarily what you might think are the best or the biggest grossing or whatever they might be, but they're definitely a combination of being five werewolf movies that we think have been among the most influential and also the ones that we just like a lot, basically. <laughs> so, I mean, I like them. And I call five of these. I think these are my top five. It's extremely subjective. You might have a different list. I get that. It's fine. Uh, this is just our list. And uh, please don't feel it invalidates your own choices. Hopefully you'll enjoy discussing this list. So let's take them in chronological order. By the way, folks, this podcast is going to be full of spoilers. Spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen any of the films that we're going to discuss and you want to, you might want to pause and come back to this at a later point. We're going to start in 1941 with The Wolfman, very famous film. It's not the 2010 remake, which I also enjoyed, by the way, but uh, it's the 1941 The Wolfman starring Lon Chaney Jr. So, Fen, tell us about the film. Um, well, it's well, it's one of the classics, isn't it? We see Mr. Lon Chaney for the first time, really, in his in his title role, and directed by George Wagner, which is he was a very interesting chap. He was kind of strange in his way. He looked at life. He 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 used to spell his surname very differently than he used to. Instead of having a capital W at the start of his name, he would have a little w and then the two g's were capitals in his name and he demanded on all his paperwork that he would have it done like that so you can imagine what kind of man this was yeah he was he was great and, and as you say it was it was the first really i mean it was the second universal film that came out with a werewolf there was another one werewolf of london in 1935 but this was it this was a bit more commercially well it was a lot more commercially successful even though it didn't still touch vampires and frankenstein for some reason but yeah it was it was the start of five um later films with mr cheney in them you remember the five i do i do i mean this was the first one and then two years later there was frankenstein meets the wolfman uh and then just hot on the heels of that 1944 house of frankenstein and then into 1945, so they were knocking out one a year of these at this point. It was House of Dracula, 1945, and then uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein um, a couple of years after that. What was that, 1949? Mm -hmm. And that there's a lot of Frankenstein in there, but there was also a fair smattering of Dracula and Igor throughout these films as well, and they were also laced with the classic actors, horror actors of the um, Universal Studios of the day, your Boris Karloffs and your Bela Lugosi's. I, I loved all of those films, actually, but it has to be said, none of them in their own right was a, was a patch on the original The Wolfman or the original Dracula or the original Frankenstein, for that matter, but they were all good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to go, to go into the plot, we have um, Mr. Larry Talbot returning to his ancestral home. He's obviously been living in America for many years because he now has a very, very, very good American accent. Not that Lauren Cheney couldn't do a British accent or anything like that. So he's gone back to his ancestral home in Llanwelly, Wales. I hope that's how you say it. Well 
yeah, where he's getting back together with his estranged uh, father, who again is a very famous actor, who is at Claude Rains in that role, and he he played the Invisible Man, of course, a few just a few years earlier, I think, in the mid thirties, that that era. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's a bit of a strange when you see them together because Lon does not look very much younger than uh, Claude, does he? Which is no, he's hmm. he's also of a somewhat different physical frame. He's about a yard <laughs> taller. <laughs> Apparently, one of the descriptions of Lon Lon Chaney was, "How do you describe him? He's massive. Yeah, yeah. he's massive. Yeah." And uh, we get um, Larry getting a bit scary when he he falls in love with uh, Gwen, who runs a, well. He's, um, her father runs an antique shop. We never meet him, but um, yeah, he. Um, how do you say it? Is it stalking? I'm not quite sure. When he's lo- watching her with a telescope through her window, as she gets ready in the morning. <laughs> Yeah. And then he goes. He goes over to the antique shop as an excuse to basically try and and date Gwen, who tells him no, 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 no. Okay, then. Yeah. Which she just broke down to it, didn't she? And she sells him. Um, she sells him a, a silver-headed <gasps> stick with a wolf's head and a pentagram on it. Um, and then loads of stuff happens. Uh, we meet um, Bella Lugosi's character. Um, he's a Romany fortune teller, and he sees a, a pentagram on uh, Jenny's palm, who's a, a friend of Gwen's. And uh, it sends her away. And then in the night, the werewolf who is, well, I said this before, but this is the only movie where we get Bella Lugosi and uh, Cheney both playing a, a werewolf. He kills Jenny and as the werewolf and uh, gets his head bashed in by Larry. Uh, no one believes Larry that he was killing a werewolf, even though he's been bitten by something that looks like a werewolf. So they all think he's a dodgy character. Um, Gwen's fiance, because she was kind of doing the dirty on him, uh, this lovely chap who was a, a game warden. Um, yeah, he, yeah. He, he doesn't believe what's going on and stuff, but he still supports her and everything like that. Um, the local populace don't think it's a werewolf because they're not stupid. No. And then they go chasing wolves because they think it's wolves. So they set up a wolf trap. Mr. Laney chains, changes back into the half man, half werewolf for the first time. It's We don't see his transformation. In all the other films, we always see his transformation, but we do see him put on a pair of apparently were changed Wellington boots where he walks on the balls of his feet and they're covered in yak fur. I don't know why I have to go into that level of detail. Yak fur seems to be quite good. Um, And he gets caught in one of the traps. And then Maliva, who is like a local uh, witch lady, um, played by a very famous Russian um, uh, actress, uh, I forgot her name now, which is a really terrible thing to do. But yeah, uh, she turns him back into a, a human. He releases himself. Uh, Larry decides he's going to leave town. He says goodbye to Gwen and then notices that Gwen has a pentagram on her palm. So she's the next victim. Uh, 
obviously his father thinks that he's disillusioned that he's not a werewolf and then larry transforms again breaks free and goes and attacks gwen yeah and then sir john his father bludgeons him to death with larry's silver-headed cane which larry gave him and then at the end of it mailer arrives and uses a spell and poor poor father poor poor sir john ends up realizing that he's killed his son that's it and that's that's the story i've ruined it for that you is all. the story and uh thanks to the wonders of modern technology i can tell you that malifa was played by maria uspenskaya yeah, who apparently when she was younger was an incredibly beautiful Russian actress. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, well, she was old Maliva by the time we got to meet her in uh, yeah. in The Wolfman. And she, of course, recites the famous lines, oh, yeah. even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Yeah, there's no escape from the wolf. There's no escape from the wolfman. No, no. Uh, those those lines make their way uh, in part into uh, into my own work in my first uh, book. I've I've incorporated that. There's a little a little bit of a doffing of the cap to the wolfman uh, in that yeah. book. Uh, Maliva also offers uh, Larry Tolbert an amulet that she says will stop him. I was going to ask you that question. I was going to say there's a double amulet thing in yours, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I wondered if that had any, had any kind of leverage from this film. Yeah. Because there's one amulet in this and he gives it to her to be safe. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. absolutely... Um, uh, this film was very influential on, on my work. Um, it has to be said. Yeah, I don't think mm. I've pinched or plagiarized, but I've been influenced by it a little bit, and uh, I think that's fair. No, I mean, that's how it works. That's how it works, isn't it? You, you see something amazing, and it becomes part of your own sort of story. Well, exactly. I don't think it's yeah. I don't think it's any anything wrong with that. I mean, it's absolutely. Tough. I love I I love this film, even though um 1940s idea of what is an acceptable way to treat people especially <laughs> men and women <laughs> was incredible was incredibly different than i i thought it was okay i I'd, I'd like to buy those pearl butterfly earrings that i saw you wearing but they're not for sale where did you see them on your bedroom dressing room table what yeah, <laughs> what? yeah. no no this is this isn't the way we do things around here uh, <laughs> Do you know this is this is it's not England it's, it's Wales, Wales. Sorry. this is this is the United Kingdom. <laughs> yes, this is not how we do things, old chap. And then what I really like is he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm a mystic. I can I can read your mind. I can I can tell what you were wearing. And then when she believes him, he says, no, I was I was, I was looking at you through a telescope. <laughs> Imagine doing that these days. You'd be like, there'd be a knock on your door. Excuse me. Would you come down to the police station, please? It would, it would be a very short march to the nearest Nick, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, and then she's disgusted that he used the telescope, and he went, "Oh, don't be disgusted, and and don't close your curtains because I quite like looking at you." What? <laughs> and she still goes for a date with him. Well, I mean, he's a romantic <laughs> fool, isn't he? At the end of the day, yes. God, yeah, you know, such a good. The kid's in love. Guy. Give him a break. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's bonkers, but yeah, I, I do I do love the film, and it's the I suppose the idea of it all is this this monster that we can't control, isn't it? Again, yes. you know, yes. uh, uh, yeah, it's not 
we have a, a monster that we don't really know what to do with and at the end of it he realizes that he can't control it and he wants to do something about it and it's going to take the one he loves and yeah it's kind of it's an allegory for all sorts of things isn't it, it is puberty and all those it is and know. uh the character larry tolbert you know as we mentioned earlier pops up in a number of different films you know he's been killed several times over this chap he keeps coming back um yeah my very first introduction to a werewolf was um larry tolbert in abbott and costello meet frankenstein and i've mentioned that in a previous podcast it was massively influential on me i got absolutely hooked on uh lon cheney jr bella lugosi and actually although he wasn't in that boris karloff as well and uh without having seen that film on that that fateful Saturday morning on the TV, uh, I, I certainly wouldn't have written the book that I have written, and I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast right now either. Did um, did uh, the the lady Maleva? Is it Maleva? I can't remember what. Yeah, Maleva, 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 Maleva. Did she she have effect on your spiritual lady? Um, I'm going to go with no. Okay. All right. Because I, I drew sort of some kind of links there. She seems a very knowledge. They both seem very knowledgeable. Yeah, characters. no, it's 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 a no. Although I can see why you might think it. So, mm. so actually, maybe I should back up there. Maybe it's not no. Maybe it's perhaps. Because who's to say, because who's to say right? Maybe there is unconscious bias or unconscious influence from yeah. that character no, I, I mean it's a trope i, I suppose I, in some ways as well right that there's a a mystic aged um lady a witch-like character if you will um it's a bit of a trope uh <sighs> i've said no i'm i'm almost talking myself into yes now but that's it's like a yes well, behind it, might, I mean, it might it it might not have been conscious yeah. to you that you that you've you've used it but like um when i watched this film again it i could draw i could draw parts of where you've taken your character characterizations not just from this film as well but from other films that i've watched and other stuff that i've I've read but one of the things i like doing with the werewolf movies and, and werewolf fiction and stuff is to find where people have drawn their influence from and i can see with this one film alone it's had a massive influence on you you can even see with the story arc the story arc is very is very similar, although it's more it's not about love and romance and all that kind of stuff necessarily. But it's again, it's a story arc about dealing with someone who has a curse and is trying to deal with it. You know? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I mean that yeah. that's squarely nail on the head stuff for sure. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and that that was conscious and that was intentional, not necessarily to make it like this film. But mm. to leverage the influence this film's had on me, uh, and to yeah. and to carry that forwards into my own sort of creative process, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I mean the 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 thing that I've noticed about the best werewolf films in is if if you see the werewolf for five percent of the film, you know it's going to be a pretty good werewolf film, right? If you get a werewolf for over five percent of the film, normally they're awful. <laughs> right, right. I I definitely agree with you there. I think that that's a situation where less is more, and if you can crank up the suspense and the the building sense of threat and all that kind of stuff, then yeah. then the the horror that comes means something 
it, yeah it, you've definitely. built towards it but if it's there throughout then it gets a little a little easier to handle mm. yeah oh yeah definitely but yeah it, i think it's the the first place and as i say we don't see a transformation in this one we see transformations in the later ones and things like that but i when you when i watch this again the, the problem with watching all those films is they all merge into yeah, one yeah. so you know to define, define one out i can see where this brought a lot of the actual folklore into being you mm -hmm. know Fine, maybe final yeah. word on it the single most influential and important werewolf film of all time or do you think just very close to it i i would say this is the one that 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 was the molding of everything that went before mm. yeah I would, um there's lots of lots of films that have built the folklore before this but this is the one that kind of brought it together as a package as it yeah. were yeah okay that was the wolfman 1941 we're going to uh leap forwards in time 20 whole years to 1961 and it's the curse mm -hmm. of the werewolf um yeah great film we're into color by now uh so it's a color color movie and it was oliver reed's so for anyone from outside of maybe the uk a very great British actor by the name of Oliver Reed, who was huge uh, in British film, the British film industry, right through the 60s and 70s and into the early 80s. Um, bit of a wild man. His very first very starring what role uh, was in this film. Yeah. I mean, it's this is this is like um, one of the first Hammer film productions. Uh, Hammer made lots of hammer horror made lots of films uh, during this period um and yeah we have the the mighty actor himself oliver reed being very over dramatic in this yeah i mean he's really acting he's really going for it <laughs> he really goes for it and I, I i love him for that it's it's based on a novel the werewolf of paris by guy endor but they had to move um, set, back in those days. It was expensive to make sets. So what they did was they just finished a film about Madrid. So what they did was they just reused the the back lot and the scenes and just went and put it and stuck it in Spain, mm. which was quite clever of them, really, mm -hmm. isn't it? Um, yeah, it was um, released in 1961, and it came with another one, another Hammer film called The Shadow Cat. And not a lot of money goes into these Hammer horror films, but the level of acting and the people in it are very, are very, very uh, good. I, I kind of enjoy the over dramaticism. They always remind me of a, a stage mm -hmm. act when I watch a Hammer film. Um, the, that's putting the ham into Hammer, you might say. Oh. Do you like that? I just came oh, up with that one. That's beautiful. Mm. That is, yeah. See, that's that's the kind of thing I need to put in my podcast. That's beautiful. Hamming hammer. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> this this is a great. I, I love this film because it's not really a werewolf film particularly. It's it's a very dramatic film. The the werewolf is only in it for about six or seven percent of the the time. But this is one where. Um, we have a poor child that is cursed because his mother, oh my gosh, gave birth, um, who was raped, or, or so we believe, uh, and she gives birth at Christmas, and he is cursed because of this, which seems a bit It harsh. does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so 
she uh, gives birth to the the wee boy who is then cursed with this horrible affliction um he's sort of uh gets on okay until he soon starts getting into hunting he gets a taste for blood and starts eating goats and kills um the local people's dogs and stuff and then 13 years later we see him working in a vineyard um and he falls in love with fernando's daughter christina and he wants to marry her um so he goes to a local he goes to a local brothel because she says no because or because that's what you do Uh, right yeah if you if you get turned down in love, what you do is you go up to a local brothel so that makes you feel better. Where you then kill all the prostitutes. Yes. Yeah, that's my wife Friday afternoon, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, it, and then he eventually gets jailed on suspicion of murder, which obviously he did because he was a werewolf who went around and killed them all. Um, and then um, in the end of it, I'm trying to make this very short. So if I miss out bits, I do apologize. At the end of it, his adoptive father comes around and kills him with a silver bullet. Yes. Oh, yes. A silver bullet from a crucifix that was blessed by the archbishop. And his father again feels heartbroken at the killing of his son. Yes, there's yeah, a parallel so, there yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, and there's a beautiful beautiful over dramatic end scene when he gets his body covered with a cloak yes i love that just the final like oh it's the icing on the cake where you you have this beautiful moment where their body gets covered by the cloak there's um there's a scene towards the end where uh oliver reed has to i'm trying to remember he has to shove somebody out of his way um and he wants to really go for it because it's his first starring role and uh he he's a big guy right it's oliver reed anyone who has ever seen him will know that he's a large human being he's a big unit and um he apparently sent this guy flying and nearly took him out completely because he you know shoved him out of the way and he launched him off his feet and <laughs> um the uh director was like that's that's a wrap people <laughs> we're keeping that <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, um, you can you can tell this was pretty influential as a as a film because it does get mentioned in American Werewolf in London. Um, I don't know if you remember the famous scene where uh, Alex Price, Jenny Agatha, turns around and said says to David, um, "Oh, so Alex, sorry, did you ever see the Wolfman?" And Alex replies, "Is that the one That's with Oliver Reed?" Right. <laughs> That's right. I'd forgotten that line. No, no, the other one, the black and white one. <laughs> the other one. <laughs> so you can see how important it is. Um, yes. Yeah, and um, also we have in the Howling, uh, nineteen eighty-one. We've got uh, Belinda Boleski's character, Terry Fisher. He's named after the director, Terence Fisher, The Curse of the Werewolf. Huh. So, so you can see what, what I love about this particular genre is the re-referencing and the, the fun we can have by going back to the older films and going, well, well, I, I loved it that much that I'm going to do this and I'm going yes. to add this to this. So, yeah, it, it's obviously a massive influence, especially on uh, John Landis. And, yeah, the doffing so of the cat. 
yeah it's like to what has come before i really like that you get it a lot a lot in vampire uh-huh. movies and vampire fiction as well i think it's it's something that us fans sit there and look out for yeah. isn't it i, I know yeah. i do so and it yeah. gives you a little dopamine hit when you spot those things right and you think oh i know what they did there yeah yeah and i i i i, I don't know if it's if it's right to think it's you if, for there's a moment there's a moment there that i feel a little bit superior because <laughs> i'm like i don't get the reference but i wonder how many people yeah, yeah i'm in the five percent that got that yeah yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not a casual listener i know yeah indeed indeed so uh we uh move into 1981 it's another 20 year leap right and you mentioned the howling yeah. and you mentioned american werewolf in london and they they were both released that year uh march 31st 1981 saw the official release of of the howling which was a bit of a game changer. there were two game changers i think that year the howling was probably the most horrific werewolf movie that ever been at that point and american Werewolf in london moved the needle in other ways that we'll come to uh, but yes, the howling. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, a great influential. Uh, it's not one that's massively stood out on my radar until I watched it again. One of the really interesting things I didn't notice until we decided we were going to look at the howling is that the 1941 film, The Wolfman, is directed by George Wagner. Guess who directed The Howling? Do tell. Dr. George Wagner was one of the people who did it, but it's a different one. <laughs> well, how do you know? Perhaps, perhaps, you know, <laughs> it might be some empathic sort of ideal. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, directed and edited by Joe Dante with an influence from George Wagner himself and um, based on the novel by the same name. It's a wonderful, wonderful film and a great horror comedy. I I, uh, I, 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 yeah, well, I do, I do like it. It's a horror comedy. It's not meant to be a horror comedy by any means, but like the nymphomaniac lady in it and stuff like that just makes me giggle. And then they have the, the, the strange, the strange boy who's not very clever. And, uh, I, it's just, it, it, it had me giggling. Last time I watched it, it didn't have me giggling. Last time it, I watched it, it had me tutting. But right. this time it had me actually. Yeah, I don't think those yeah. things were funny in 1981. They were all very adult and um, slightly shocking, and uh, <laughs> and things like that. And I think with the you know the passage of the last uh, 40 odd years or so, they've become such a sort of pastiche of their point in in cinematic history um, that yeah. they really are quite funny. Oh yeah, I, I mean it. it it like takes the most stereotypical characters it can it can drag out and and puts them together in a wonderfully tropey way, and I just I, yeah I, as I say a bit I was a bit dismissive and then when I watched it again I was like no this is actually brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have we have Karen White who is um, a lady anchor lady and she at the start of the film she's being stalked by a a guy we know as Eddie Quist and. Uh, Somehow or other, she ends up by herself in a porn theatre with Eddie uh, making her and forcing her to watch this horrible, brutal scene of a woman being bound and raped. Um, she turns around and sees Eddie is who he is. Eddie's 
in theory killed um i'll say in theory and she passes out and uh then she goes to see her therapist dr george wagner again Um, yeah again um who decides to send these two people to a colony which turns out to be a colony full of strange characters including the nymphomaniac marsha who tries to seduce her i don't know if it's her husband or boyfriend i think it's betrothed betrothed i think well they marsha decides that she's gonna try and have a better bill um, and then Eddie comes back to life in a morgue and um, Karen's friend ends up trying to phone someone to tell him that, you know, that he's still alive. And yeah, everything happens. Bill and Marsha have sex in the woods and go through transformation while they're having sex, which is a bit worrying. And uh, then we have the issue that, she doesn't know whether Karen doesn't know whether it's worse that he's cheated on her or is bonking or is a werewolf, <laughs> which is a bit of an odd one. Um, she, uh, her friend goes and tries to phone her boyfriend to tell her that she needs help and then gets attacked by Eddie. And then she cuts his arm off, which is great with an ax. And that's one of my favorite scenes is when you see the werewolf arm turn back to the human arm. I thought that was a great lovely effect. detail there. Yeah, I was absolutely, I was absolutely superly, superbly impressed with that. She gets killed, obviously, by Eddie, um, and then they find out eventually that all the colony, all the colony, are actually um, shape shifting uh, werewolves, and Chris comes along, who's her friend's uh, husband, boyfriend, or something, with silver bullets that he takes from a very sarky storekeeper's shop, and starts shooting people. And then at the end of it is a scene that I actually forgot, which is the whole point of the film, where at the end yeah. she tells a story of being a werewolf. And to make everybody believe her, she then turns into a werewolf, which I thought was a very, very good way of uh, explaining the, the werewolf story. How can you prove it? Well, I'll actually yeah, show you. live TV, uh, network television uh, in the US. Yeah. That's a fantastic uh, way to, to end the film. And... Um, it was definitely the first time anything like that had been dropped into a werewolf story, right? It really was the first very, very modern werewolf story, I think, that I, that I ever came across um, at that time. It had the fantastic scene in it where I believe it's Eddie is about to change and he says, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. And then to demonstrate how indestructible he is, he shoves his thumb and index finger into his temple and literally gouges out a bit of his own brain and laughs while yeah. he's changing into a, into a werewolf. And obviously he heals in real time. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I do. I, I really love it. There's, some of the effects in it are absolutely fantastic. Yeah. They must have really put some effort into it, into some money into it. And I, I, it's so nice not to see CGI here. Yeah horrible i don't know what it is about cgi it's not the it's not the not the same at all there, yeah. there's something very visceral about it actually being a, a three-dimensional object rather than computer generated i think it it just even though if it if it's not done well it looks like it's plastic 
But if it is done well, it just looks slightly otherworldly and quite scary. And this was done well. Certainly for 1981, it literally had people running out of cinemas screaming as King Kong and Frankenstein had back in the 30s. Um, there yeah. were literally people running out of cinemas uh, horrified by what they were seeing in 1981 when, when this film came out, which is extraordinary. Yeah, and it, again, it's it, it's a, a thing of its age as well. We got to see the the leading man with the big bushy moustache, the hairy chest and the wonderful haircut, you know, smacking and hitting his 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 love of his life and things like that. And I just wonder how often that would be an acceptable thing these days. Yeah. You know, they, they, he slaps her and then apologises and everything's... Everything's kind, kind of, of okay. okay. I mean, that's very much of its time, yeah. I think, is the best I could find to it say about great. it, you know? Yeah. It, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a strange one. It's it, Again, it's like watching these movies back and seeing seeing these things and realising that what I found was okay is now is not okay. Genu <laughs> genuinely not. <laughs> oh, not okay. Um it's like doing something to yourself, like watching American Pie again. You watch American Pie now and you cringe. Oh, well, <laughs> I may have to give that a try. Um, Don't. It, you will cringe a lot. <laughs> so, uh, like, final thing on on uh, The Howling. A budget of $1.5 And hold, hold yeah, this thought. Million. That was a lot of money in those days. In 1981, yeah. $1.5 was considered a lot of money for a horror film. So hold that thought. And at the box office, it took 17.9. So a profitable venture. A lot of money in that film. The, the werewolf genre was never really known for making a huge amount of money. So, yeah, it was it was a good it was a good film. And it had lots of effects on lots of um, especially the, on the effects industry itself. A lot of the, the people who worked on that film went into other films, such as uh, Gremlins with Steven Spielberg and all these other places that um, were then starting to make horror movies. Mm -hmm. And we saw the, the level of effects start to go through the roof. It was, it was good. And obviously when we do speak about the next film, we will be saying something along the same well, lines. Well, what a, what a perfect, uh, perfect conduit from one to the other. Yeah. So American Wealth in London, just a few months later, we're talking August the 21st, 1981, same year, that summer, that summer's big horror movie release. Um, this film at that time was widely regarded as having some of the most groundbreaking special effects in cinema history. I think that's fair to say. And if the effects in The Howling were good, these, these were on another another level it was a massively successful commercially successful film so where the howling was 1.5 million in the budget the budget for an american werewolf in london was 5.8 million and it took 62 million dollars at the box office which was pretty massive back then i think i think it had a lot to do with um John Landis being the director, though. I mean, he'd, he'd already he'd done what he'd done the Blues mm -hmm. Brothers, Animal House, some of the, the Kentucky Fried movie, he made a lot of money for the um, the the film company. So I think they were willing to throw. And when they when they actually planned the film, they were actually going to have uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi as the two main male characters. That was the yes. idea, uh, but in the end, they couldn't afford that. Um, so yeah, 
And what I love about this story is that when John Landis um, worked this story out, he was actually doing Kelly's Heroes, nineteen seventy. Uh, and he was in Yugoslavia and he was uh, driving along with a friend in the car and they had to stop because there was a, a procession of Romani taking someone to a funeral. And when they, they followed them to the funeral because they didn't have any choice, they couldn't go past or anything. And when they actually got to the funeral, they got out and watched and someone was, uh, they, they were asking the locals what was happening. And there was a gypsy woman standing over the grave after the, the priest had left Um saying basically things so that the, the the body could not rise from the the coffin and all that kind of stuff and i think that must have had a, a massive effect on him and gave him the idea for the film so well and you know he, he wrote that film 10 years before they made it yeah 19 yeah 1970 odd was when the film came to sort of his head mm. uh, yeah i mean if you think of it like that, that's kind of a scary thing to get your sort of juices it's, from. Well, it? it's it's kind of real, <laughs> that, right? You're, you're literally witnessing folklore in action in real life. Um, and I, I like I like the fact that he still brought a horror comedy side out of it, you know, because something like that, like, to me, I'd be like, ooh. You, can we get back in the car <laughs> yeah. now, please? <laughs> yeah. It was a bit scary. Yeah, well, the Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi thing was an interesting one because John uh, Landis had written this as a horror comedy and the studios at the time felt that it was far too horrific to be a comedy of any kind. Mm. However, it was far too funny to be a modern horror and they felt that they yeah. couldn't have... Um, you know, box office comedic actors in the lead roles as you know, that was also thought of something that might not work as well as being very expensive. Yeah, I thought it was just down to the fact that they just couldn't afford to pay these guys anymore. I know John Belushi at the time was having a, a heck of a, a run on um, drugs and alcohol. Right. So. <laughs> his fees were probably quite high. Paying, paying for his rider was probably going to be very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, um, I can only imagine what would it have been better with those two recognizable characters as the leads? I'm not sure it would have been to be honest. I don't think so. I think, I, think would, the, I think we would have been more focused on their characterization than we would have been on the I film. mean, it was the, the actor that played David Kessler was uh, a guy called David Norton, who I think became quite recognizable in the States after this film. Uh, but he was never really a, a household name over here. And I felt that, you know, when you saw an image of him on the screen, it was David Kessler. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Norton. It was. Yeah. It was the guy, the character, right? And I think that really worked. It somehow made it all the more believable. The fact that Jenny Agatha was by then a known actress or actor in in the UK. She surely wasn't in the in the United States. I'm quite sure of that. Um, but yeah. but she was still very early in her career. She, you know, it was it wasn't like they were getting a superstar to play yeah. that role. No, no, definitely not. And she was absolutely perfect for the for the. Part. She was just she spot on for it. You know, not only was she you know beautiful and young and this kind of uh, posh London girl, um, but she was a really really good actor. She played the part very good, really yeah. well. You know. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's one of those films where everything came together, really, yeah. didn't it? 
it really it really did i i do like i do like things i think you mentioned uh brian glover yes. being in it the, the wrestler and he was in he was the original sportsmaster out of kez yeah. the really yeah. horrible sportsmaster yeah. and i sometimes wonder that i think it was supposed to be based in wales the village it was supposed to be based in wales but i'm like when they heard Brian Glover speak, did they go, right, we're doing this in York? We're doing York. it in York. <laughs> we're keeping him. And we're doing it in York. He can't do Wales. <laughs> Yorkshire, he can he do. can't do Wales. He can do bloody Yorkshire. Fantastic. <laughs> like, it was all filmed in the, in Wales. Was it? Um, yeah, well, the pub was in, um, well, it, was, it was in Chelsea or somewhere. The, the pub actually inside the pub and stuff. But like, uh, yeah, most of the outdoor scenes was... And I think it was going to be based in Wales. But half of him is like, you know, you hear Brian Glover speak and you're like, right, he's from Kez. We've got to have this in Yorkshire, haven't yeah. we? And it, it, there's a there's a bit something more grim, isn't there? You know, I, a southern Welsh accent is quite nice yeah. And, yeah. And, and sparkly while it's grim up north. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, fantastic. Yeah, no, no, he, he <laughs> really adds something very atmospheric to it. And when, when we're yeah. in a slaughtered lamb, the pub, and um, he tells the remember the Alamo joke and he's got this kind of warm, friendly uh, man of the north about him. And then, you know, they point out the pen pentagram on the wall. The guy misses the dartboard. You made me miss that famous line. I've never missed that <laughs> board before. And then, oh, what's that star on the wall for? And then uh, he, he, he spins around, doesn't he? And he's just Brian Glover spins around and uh, you better go. Just yeah. get out, you know, get out. Um, and the mood, I, I don't think I've ever seen in any other film a mood flip so quickly from, oh, okay, they're going to be all right in this pub. It's actually okay. They're going to be okay. And then it's like, oh, these locals aren't friendly. They're in trouble here. Yeah. I, I, is there a reason for them becoming hostile? Is it just down to missing a dart? Because I, 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 I watched it trying to work out why they become hostile. Well, it's it's because you know, he points out the, the pentagram on the wall. He's like, what's that star on the wall for? That's what makes him miss the dartboard. Ah, right. And then they're like, oh, shit, he's asking questions about the pentagram. Get him out of here. Um, but, of course, it's a full yeah, moon. That went past me. Yeah, that went past me. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it does get past me. I just wondered because it was like, if I saw a pentagram on a wall, as well i'd be like what the bloody hell is that well probably get, get into the night particularly well. knowing what you know right you'd be like can i just rule out the fact that any of you lot is a werewolf please <laughs> where's me gone yeah. i want me silver bullet and of course you know i yeah. must mention whilst we're we're finishing off the cast um another actor early in his career rick mail in the slaughtered lamb yeah uh with his one line which is remember the Alamo. Uh, he repeats the punchline to the joke. <laughs> remember the Alamo. Alamo. And uh, yeah. yeah, once you've seen him, you can't unsee him in that scene. Anyone no, who knows him no. or knew him. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't notice him until you pointed it out. Pointed it out before. I was like, oh right, now, yeah. So in my second edition of my book, it will he will be in there. But yeah, I, I, I mean that first that first section of the film itself is just an incredible. But I mean, do I have to go into the plot of American Werewolf in London? Right? Oh, <laughs> do you want to go to the plot of American? You do it. It's such a great you film. Listen, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a whistle stop tour, folks. Okay. <laughs> so look, you've got two 
um, just postgraduates, we'll call them. They've just finished being students in the States. They come over to the UK to go on a hiking holiday on the Yorkshire Moors. And um, they are out late at night. It's a full moon. They don't necessarily spot that yet. But they go into this pub, The Slaughtered Lamb. Uh, they spot a... Uh, um, a pentagram on the wall they ask what it's for and the atmosphere in the pub goes really sour and they basically get told get out we don't want you around here uh but stick to the road lads stay clear of the moors beware, <laughs> beware the moon and uh of course <laughs> they're they go out and they're hiking up the road and it starts raining and they're a bit pissed off and they're having a bit of a laugh at the expense of the locals and they and they don't stick to the road and they get attacked by a werewolf um jack uh, is killed and David survives mm -hmm. and David wakes up in hospital um, nightmares and all sorts of bad stuff going on for him, uh, winds up sort of falling in love with his nurse and he starts getting visited by the, the spectre of Jack who says that he's now in limbo and can't die properly until the wolf's bloodline is severed and that David must take his own life in order to do that uh, before before yeah. he starts killing people himself. <laughs> and of course, the next full moon comes around and lo and behold, um, that shit goes down and uh, it's 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 not good. And it ends in tragedy, of course. And uh, there's a fantastic, the most legendary transformation scene in the history, I think, of of werewolf cinema when uh, David is changing quite slowly from man into monster. He sees a little Mickey Mouse doll on the, the mantelpiece and he stares at it and says uh, under his breath, I didn't mean to call you a meatloaf, Jack. He, he insulted his friend Jack at one point in the film saying he looked like a, a walking meatloaf. And um, he goes on a rampage in Piccadilly Circus in London, which is such an iconic scene as well. It's, you know, you've got the red London buses and, people getting their heads bitten off left, right and centre. And eventually the armed police show up and they, and they shoot him. Uh, it doesn't seem to need to be a silver bullet in this iteration of the, of the myth, but um, probably the top werewolf movie, generally speaking of all time, I think it tops most of the polls. And I, I think it was a, a real game changer and not much has lived up to it. A lot of films have tried to be it um, yeah, and not many have it's, succeeded. It's been several times, hasn't it? Yeah. I love the fact that yeah. both these movies, The Howling and were so close together on the time yeah. frame. They have quite a lot in common as well. There's like a, an adult movie theatre at some point. In oh, there yes. And, and, yeah. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's got, it's got, yeah, it's got lots of, the, the transformations and stuff they're sort of congruous and things although i do think the the landis film has a a much better transformation in it yeah. but you know i think it does extra I, budget though right yeah I, I think um it has an idea of you know is it okay to commit suicide as well as a person isn't it because he's like trying to decide whether or they're trying to get him to kill himself and he's you know he, i can see why that could be a bit of a a struggle for the moment. Yes. But yeah, it's yeah, it's a it's a a very very well written film. I do do love it. So we've we've leapt forward twenty years in between each of our films so far, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna stretch this this formula a little bit here. 
we had two films in 1981. So we're going to have to jump forward an extra year to accommodate that. And that brings us to 2002. Do you see what I did there? I manipulated <laughs> the statistics to make them work yeah. for us. So we're, we've leapt forward to 2002. Um, it's Brussels in March, and there is the release of a British horror film, which would come to UK cinemas in May of that year, I believe. And its name was Dog Soldiers, a fantastic film. Oh, it's yeah, it is the best. And I get a lot of my my kind of idea of humour and the way that people would deal with werewolves and how that would happen from from this film. I love I love the the idea of British soldiers and how they would actually react in a situation where I mean the film was originally called Werewolf versus soldiers. Was it imaginative? <laughs> <laughs> but to the point. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I I love it. The actors in it are absolutely fantastic. Um, the plot is quite straightforward. We see at the start of it, there's a young couple in the in the in the forest, and he's got a new job, and he gets past a a silver letter opener. Ah, we see a a gun in the first part of the film. What's going to be obviously going to be fired at the end. So we see a silver letter opener. We need to remember that. Um, at the same time, we see Private Cooper running in his special forces training. Um, he gets told by the horrible Captain Richard Ryan to kill a dog to prove that he's a real man, which he refuses to do. So he goes back to his old his old mob. His old mob are then remembered by Richard, uh, by Richard Ryan, who is going to use them to entrap a werewolf. So he puts them out there as though they're on um, in action, doing a, a, like a um, an exercise of some kind. That's the word. They're doing an exercise. Well, in reality, he's using them to to get these this werewolf to attack them. But in fact, what happens is that the SAS that are waiting to trap the werewolf get attacked themselves by a group of werewolves that uh, murder them very badly. And then uh, we have Mister Ryan. Uh, sorry, Sergeant Ryan, Captain Ryan, um, then found half dead, scratches being ripped and torn across his chest. Then he wants to get out of there, which is pretty obvious because there's not one werewolf, there's many werewolves. So they run away as they're being chased by the werewolves and then they get picked up by a lovely lady in a Land Rover. That was a bit, that was a lovely lady in a Land Rover. Alliterated beautifully. Um, yeah, a lovely lady in Land Rover. And then she drives him to a house in the middle of nowhere that doesn't have a phone or Wi-Fi because that's you wouldn't, you wouldn't have anything like that. In, well, I don't know, 2002? I'm not sure. But, yeah, they go there, and the family's not there. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But the werewolves are there, and the werewolves surround the place and start attacking the, uh, the farm. The soldiers fight back. Eventually, the werewolves get in but how do the werewolves get in well they're invited in by the lady who is actually one of the werewolves and then there's a big fight in the house which is hilariously brilliant and brutal and there are some fantastic moments in it which i'm not going to spoil because if you haven't seen the film please go watch it and then at the end um there is only two survivors because that's the way it should be and cooper and the dog survive and the dog is the very important bit and that's yeah i'm not really wanting to go into any more de details and that and uh, at the end of it it's just about 
my favourite bit is the uh, football results coming in over the end as well. I forgot about that until I watched it recently. Yeah. It's the sensational tabloid newspaper with the and it's got it's got the results and then above that it's got a little story that says werewolves eight yeah. my platoon. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. And, but this is, you know, we've mentioned it on this pod and on others before, uh, that in this genre there's a lot of that doffing of the cap to other uh, other creative efforts, I'll say, you know, other things within the genre in this film, also things from outside yeah. the genre as well. So movie buffs f- from all over are going to find little cheeky little things in here that reference other things that they may have seen and you know, probably won't spoil it all, but there, there's the one from The Matrix that I think we mentioned previously, There Is No Spoon, and um, and there are others. It, it's literally throughout. Um, got probably the most scary scene in any horror from the one that's made me jump the most, which is often referred to as the falling cow scene, um, where they sat around the fireside <laughs> yeah. and... Uh, the carcass of a dead cow suddenly plummets onto the ground in front of them and everyone goes, ah! And everyone who's watching does the same thing. Um, of course, we don't respond by pulling out automatic weapons and firing them off into the woods, but uh, then we're not we're not a bunch of soldiers. Mm. Uh, there's, there's just great lines in it. One of my... One of my favourites is um, what they're doing like sweeping patrols around the area as they're, they're trying to, because they're supposed to be fighting against these SAS soldiers in this exercise. And <laughs> Cooper turns around and says, they'll have the whole sector wrapped tighter than an Eskimo's nadsack. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. And uh, and that cast, that phenomenal cast that you've mentioned, was start at the top maybe with Sean Pertwee, um, son of John Pertwee for Doctor Doctor Who fans out there, um, think Event Horizon, think Gotham, the TV series which was fantastic. He played uh, Albert in that um, Bruce Bruce yeah. Wayne's uh, Butler, and of course he was the voice of Master Chef the Professionals in the UK. Um, yeah, John, yeah, I didn't know. You that. See, I always bring one that you didn't know, and that's that's maybe this episode's oh. one. Um, yes, he yeah. was indeed. So uh, then Kevin McKidd, who was Private Cooper, and I guess the two most standout things in uh, most people's views that he, he's done is he was one of the main characters in Train Spotting, uh, which was, yeah. of course, like gigantic in the 90s. Oh. Uh, really huge cultural event in the UK actually for those of us that were in our 20s during that decade that was that was the major cultural film of the time and he's done 20 years hard service or thereabouts so far in Grey's Anatomy as Hunt Uh, Owen Hunt yeah he's probably the best character in the whole thing he's great and he's got a very convincing American accent He's a fantastic Yeah, actor. he's a bloody good singer as well, actually. They did an episode in Grey's Anatomy where they all sang everything. And uh, if, if he yeah. wants a career in musical theatre, he's got one waiting for him, I'm quite sure. Yeah. I, I, the, the, the director and the writers must have loved making this film. There's so many Easter eggs, as you say to other films. Um, you've got aliens with short control, firing short controlled bursts and then there's HG uh, Wells, Captain H. Harry G. Wells, obviously, and then you've got um, Bruce Campbell, who is Ash, um, 
uh, a very famous yeah. character out of um, Evil Dead. Oh, Evil no. Dead. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, it must have been so much fun making this this film. It must have really been. And we said before the the werewolves in this to me are the probably the scariest yeah. <laughs> werewolf because they look big and scary and very and different. quite real. I think yeah, it's fair to yeah. say they 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 really are. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think werewolf movies peaked in 2002 with this production. I don't think anything's come close to this since. Yeah, there's been a lot bigger budgets. There's been a lot of CGI. I don't I, think I've ever had the pants scared off me like yeah. I did with this film. No, and th- what I love about this film is that it was there was twists in there that the first time you watch it you didn't really grasp and then there's little bits in it afterwards that you kind of oh i didn't notice that bit or you when you watch it for the it's one of those films that you can watch again mm. and again and yeah. still get little references and little bits of nuggets that you didn't you know it's just a fantastically written film and the, the way the soldiers treat the you know when uh, which soldier is it who gets caught in the kitchen and he gets held up by his throat and it, he looks deep into the the werewolf's eyes after hitting it and kicking it and and kneeing it and hitting it with pans and all sorts of stuff. I hope I give you the shits. <laughs> wow, yeah, my I'm going hero. down swinging. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got Joe who's trying to get the car started, and he hears the. You can tell the werewolf's behind him as he's trying to get this car started. He's panicking. He's panicking. He's panicking, and then he stops, and you can hear him hear the werewolf. And he just turns around, and and I'm sorry if this offends anybody, but in an American movie, that guy would have gone, ah, <laughs> but not Joe. Joe goes, come on, let's have, have it. it. <laughs> and gives, get, you can just imagine him getting in there and leading with a headbutt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the werewolf being initially very yeah, surprised. maybe stunned <laughs> briefly, <laughs> but maybe stunned. Yeah. Uh, and this is a yeah. film, of course, that has the concept of a weaponized werewolf in it, and that's something that you've that you've written about um, oh, yeah. extensively. You know, in, in in your podcast and in the 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 published work that goes with the first thirty odd episodes of that, um, and uh, you've taken that concept and. Uh, examined it in some detail uh and it's it's yeah a, it's a cracking idea that you know someone's going to try and take something uh, as irresistible as this and try and contain it in that way and use it in that targeted way wow that's a dangerous yeah. thing to try yeah i i, I that's kind I, I kind of as we do we all we all steal from the things around us and that would when i when i i saw what captain ryan was trying to do it was it was like oh that's a really mm. good idea well obviously in my, in my story it's from the point of view of the werewolf yeah. and the werewolf was waiting for his opportunity yeah. of when when he can turn it around and everything's about manipulating the situation for his own his own outcome but yeah i mean it's a it's a fantastic film and the, yeah the idea that we can weaponize them i think what what happens after this is we get the romantic side of the werewolf coming yes. out and then and alongside that is it then it becomes an action genre mm-hmm. with underworld and stuff like that um yeah so we, we just we just in a change in what the the werewolf is as a, as a werewolves thing. are all about transformation yeah hard not yeah. to resist well, that hard yeah shouldn't resist it what am i trying we'll, to say 
It happens. Just, <laughs> just suck it up, Greg. It's happening, all right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose we just have to accept that these these things are going to happen, but hopefully we'll we'll see something come out soon with I I mean one of my one of my best ever um refusals by um not a publisher but by um an agent was that uh, werewolves are trope and that's the entire refusal that i got from the agent for when i put my book into them was werewolves are trope and i was like okay yes i know but <laughs> i know that's why i used it <laughs> hilarious that i can <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah no but i yeah i hopefully and do you know what i think we've said it before i'm so glad they've not remade this yes. film i'm so glad there's not a second one um there were there was an idea that they were going to make a series out of it as well i'm glad that didn't happen so keep please guys don't do anything with this because it's just perfect the way yeah, it is perfect, perfect. yeah so those are do you have any other movies that you think we're not going to go through in great detail but if you had to add like the next two that just the names not any detail or plot or anything like that uh, I tell you what, one I'll drop in, and it's one that you and I discussed very, very briefly on t- Twitter when we first started connecting, uh, which was uh, what do you call Viking Wolf? Oh that yeah, came out earlier. Yeah. Was it earlier this year or back end of last year? Yeah, I, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. This I year, yeah. I thought they had a really good stab at that. I quite liked it. Yeah, I, I mean that's again. We're going back to the old genre. Yeah, right? maybe that's why I liked it. You know, it was it was yeah. it was about something scary and dangerous, yeah. and you know there was a curse that really didn't have a good outcome for anyone that got wrapped up in it. Um, the some mm. of the acting, you know, was of a certain type, um, and it's yeah. not necessarily for everyone. But you know, I kind of liked it. I found found it atmospheric scenery was incredible and i thought the image they created of the beast was was scary um it's just a bit of a shame it couldn't it couldn't break through a glass door at that boutique the the girl (laughs) hid in you know (laughs) what poor werewolf yeah yeah it's, it's, it's a bit like that when you see um What's he, Cheney in the first one beat beat a werewolf to death with, with a, a stick. stick. And I'm like, okay. yeah, they've yeah. got stronger okay. over the years, haven't they? Werewolves. Got much much more powerful, haven't yeah. they? You know, they got slightly slightly better and slightly stronger. I think if I I think if I would like, they're not werewolf movies, but the original Hound of the Baskervilles. Yes, what the uh, Basil Rathbone one? Yeah, great. I film. think that is a fantastic werewolf yeah. film it's not yeah. a werewolf film because we never no. see the werewolf it's a bloody werewolf film and it's the one of the best werewolf films there is without a werewolf in it <laughs> i hope everyone liked that that's the five movies that we kind of sort of agreed that were the ones that stood out wouldn't it yeah i think that each of those if if you anyone listening if you haven't seen any of those films um we may well have just ruined them for you, but if you took my advice earlier in the podcast, you would have pressed the pause button, gone off and watched those films and and come back and listen to this pod, and you'll probably want to go and watch the films again. Now you know some of the secrets contained therein. And a bit like yeah. Fight Club, 
it's a better film the second time you watch it. I think that's true with most of these, yes. if not all of them. You get something additional the second yeah. time around. Um, clever stuff. And, and Greg will obviously, Greg will obviously put in the description the five films that we're going to talk about, so that you know the ones that you should go and watch. Clearly, clearly. I hope. <laughs> yes. Um, something else I'm going to do, of course, is put links to our socials in the description for mm -hmm. the podcast so you can find us on twitter and facebook and threads and all sorts of other places do go and check out werewolf the podcast you'll be pleased you did uh, i'm pleased mm -hmm. that the werewolves from dog soldiers haven't made it into our little cabin in the woods and we've survived another night talking about scary uh werewolfy type monsters um so it's very Oh, very impressive television. It's massive. It's a huge yeah. thing. I don't know how we managed to get that thing installed. No, um, incredible. So we're both off to finish our research for the next episode, which we've run out of runway on this, to be honest, uh, folks. We we have to get this one done. It's uh, literature, lycanthropes in literature next time around, I promise you, and we will see you then. But until next time, it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>